And thank you all for being with us today. Uh, we are very blessed this morning to have uh, Jeff Schmidt close out our Money Matters message series. Uh, Jeff and his family have been a part of our church family for going on four years now. And a lot of us guys in the room have had the privilege of attending the uh, men's small group that Jeff has led in the past. And so without further delay, let's give a big round of applause for Jeff. All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, welcome to Hope Community Church. So hopefully, since we all changed the clocks last night and everybody was here on time, you either got an extra hour of sleep or you had an extra hour to drink more coffee. But either way, um, I fully expect everybody to stay awake. And it's a little tough now. This is the first time I've done this looking out at an audience and seeing mass. So it's really hard for me to you know, to, to, to see if you're paying attention or not. But uh, I think that extra hour of sleep, what it did for me, it actually gave me an extra hour to worry about this. So you are in a good position, um, but I'm really excited and happy to be here this morning. For the past three weeks, we've been speaking about money, which is one of our favorite topics, especially when it comes to church, right? Um, just think of the, the pastor asking for your money. We need money. We need money. But, but there's a reason that we do this. And there's a reason that Pastor Josh has had this four-part message series, again, devoted to the topic of money. And that's because money is such a focus of our lives. Just think about how much time and energy you spend in trying to acquire money. We get up, we go to work. Maybe now we get up, we stay home, we work. That time and energy, we're trying to accumulate money. What about the mental stress, the anxiety, the anguish we can feel when there's those times when there isn't enough money? This money is just a focus of each and every day, and that's why we need to talk about it, even in church. But you see, this focus on money isn't really something that is only applicable to our modern-day culture. Um, in getting ready for this morning, I did a little bit of Google research, and I found on the website jesusfilm.org that, number one, Jesus himself spoke more about money than he did about prayer and faith combined. That was a little surprising to me. And number two, in 11 of Jesus' 40 parables, so we're talking over 25%, Jesus either taught about money or he used money as a way to teach a spiritual truth. So I fully believe if Jesus himself is speaking about money this much, it's something that we need to really be concerned with. And that's why we're going to be talking about it for at least one more week. That is until Pastor Josh decides in 2021 that we're going to talk about it again. So here's just a quick recap. If you're joining us, you know, this is part four of a four-part series. Where have we been over the past three weeks? Uh, the first message from Pastor Josh was talking about the ideal local church, and that ideal local church should be giving to the community, not taking. And in our effort as Hope Community Church here in Ridley Park to live up to that ideal, we need a critical number of our members cheerfully supporting this ministry so that our guests, our visitors, and our newer members are able to receive. They're able to stay on that receiving end until they make that switch mentally that, no, I'm invested in this, and they can start to give. 
Week two, quite simply, was called the tithing sermon. There is no surprise there what we're going to talk about. And Pastor Josh talked about the tithe. And if you remember, he had his jars, his live, his give, and his save jars. And how do we prioritize the money that we have according to biblical principles? And then last week, uh, we were blessed to have Aaron Hess here. And he spoke on, I think the title was Money Problems, Money Solutions. And if you remember, I wasn't here, but I watched it online. He had the visual of the two pieces of wood and the nail and the hammer. And money was that hammer. Money is just a tool. But if we don't know how to use it, it's kind of worthless. And he talked about how we need to frame our concept of money and finances around biblical perspectives and not worldly perspectives. So that brings us to today. This is the third time uh, that I've had the opportunity to speak in front of you on a Sunday morning. And each one of these has been a tremendous opportunity to just seek God and ask what it is he would have me share with you. And it's my prayer that this morning uh, I will be able to share some truth with you through this message that I believe that God has given for us today. So you may be asking yourself, why is Jeff up there this morning? And that is a completely valid question. It's one I ask of myself. Why did Pastor Josh ask me to speak to you this morning? Um, Frankly, given the timing, I think Batman was out a little too late last night, and he knew he would need the week off. But actually, outside of that, um, you know, Pastor Josh knows what I do for a job. I'm an accountant, and I have spent 17 years auditing investment companies. So is that the reason why he asked me to talk to you? Right? I, I work in the financial services industry, and my profession is focused solely on money and growing wealth. But while that professional experience may give me some accreditation in the secular world to speak on money, and I have spoke at conferences and things of that nature, that in and of itself doesn't really have any bearing in why I'm here in front of you this morning. So the question is, why am I? And I actually asked Josh, and he gave me a few things that I'll share with you. Number one, uh, Kathy and I and our family are members, invested members in this church of Hope Community Church, and we also believe in the power of the local church. Uh, We have tried to be intentional in honoring God with our finances through the years. And lastly, and I personally believe this is probably the most important, I believe what the Bible has to say about money. So in preparation for this series, I mentioned this is the third time I've had the chance to do this, but this is really the first time that it's been part of a, a larger cohesive series. The other ones were kind of plug in, talk about something, and that's a little easier, but Trying to do a series and split that across three different speakers, we had to meet. Aaron and Josh and I had to meet, and Josh laid out what his vision was for this past month. And one of the things that he encouraged us to do was be able to state the point of your message in one succinct statement. So I'm going to give you that up front. If you didn't sleep in, if you didn't have that extra cup of coffee, and this is the only thing you hear, that's okay. God cares more about our hearts than our money. 
And I'll say that to all of you. God cares more about your heart than your money. And we can each turn that around and internalize it. God cares more about my heart than my money. And that's probably a statement that almost all of us can agree with. Of course God would care more about my heart than what's in my wallet. And it might even give us a sense of relief that God cares more about our hearts than our money. But I think this could also be a statement that as Christians, maybe we sometimes misunderstand and have actually used that same statement that God cares more about our hearts than our money really as an excuse for why we don't have to invest back into his kingdom. Because we can say to ourselves, see, I've given God my heart. I can keep my money. He'll understand. And I wish I could give. And maybe I'll get to that at some point down the road. But right now, I really need to build up some savings. Eagles are on Sunday night football tonight against Dallas. That would be awesome if I had a, just a bigger TV. I, I'd really need that. What about that vacation? I mean, I've just been working. Work, I, I need to take that vacation. Or maybe it's as simple as my house is literally falling down around me. Can't I just fix a couple of these things first? Because God knows my heart, but he also knows my situation. And I wish I could give. I wish I could tithe. But it's just not a priority right now. And a God of grace and compassion, he's going to understand that. But let's pump the brakes on that. Before we allow ourselves to get too far down that path about what I think and about what any of you think, let's look back in the scriptures and see what Jesus himself has to say. So in your bulletin, and read by Jillian this morning, um, is a section of the Gospel of Mark that's currently referred to as, or commonly referred to as, the widow's offering. And just to give you some context as to what's going on here, it seems to be just a situation where Jesus was sitting with his disciples. He saw something taking place, and he thought it was worthwhile to impart some spiritual truth to his disciples based on what he saw taking place in front of him. So let's read those again. Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And I want to focus in on verse 43. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Does this make any sense to you? The verses we just read, Jesus just got done saying that there were rich people putting large amounts into the treasury. This widow put only a few cents in, yet somehow she put in more. I checked the, the dictionary, the definition of more, a greater quantity, number, or amount. And I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, and I know 
my son who's in first grade, I, I see some of what he's doing in school now because he's home doing it online, but you know, $1,000 is more than five cents, no matter which way you slice it. So then I thought, well, maybe, maybe this is a translation issue. You know, sometimes different translations of the Bible, they don't get each and every single word perfect. So I checked the New King James. Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. What about the New American Standard? Truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. So those didn't work. What about if we go all the way back to the King James? I kind of wish that's the verse I would have put in the bulletin so Jillian would have had to read with like an old English accent. But verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. So what about the message? The message isn't a strict literal uh, translation of the Bible. It really just tries to get more like a paraphrase of key themes. The truth is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. Each and every one of these verses, the widow is giving more. So this clearly isn't a translation issue, and that's what Jesus actually meant. But it isn't the quantity that he's referring to. If we look at verse 44 again, Jesus clarifies this when he states, they, meaning the rich, all gave out of their wealth, but she, the widow, out of her poverty, put in everything. And I readily admit, that's a tough pill to swallow. All she had to live on. You see, this passage is only four verses long. And especially in the context of Mark, where it's a lot of just quick staccato teaching after teaching after teaching, it could be easy for us to read this. Yeah, that's great. Gloss over it and move on. But I think when we start to ponder this, it can have tremendous implications on our lives. Because we need to ask ourselves, what is Jesus saying to me? Am I the rich? Am I the widow? Lord, what do you expect of me? And this isn't asking what you expect of anybody else. I think we need to introspectively ask, Lord, what is it you expect of me? Two weeks ago, as I mentioned, Pastor Josh spoke on the tithe, which literally means a tenth. And were we still under the old covenant, when it comes to how much is enough and giving, it's very cut and dry. 10%. God gets that. I get to keep the rest. But Jesus came to create a new covenant. And under this new covenant, somehow five cents is now more than $1,000. And I believe that this should cause each of us to wrestle this, with this question of how much is enough. Because unfortunately, we can't revert back to an easy formulaic answer anymore. And since I can't sit up here this morning, I'd be great if it could just be like, look, check the screen. This is exactly what you have to do. Ninth mathematical equation. We could all go home. We could apply that to our lives and we'd check something off the box. But that's not the case. So what can I do for you this morning? And what I'm going to attempt to do is just share a little bit of our family's history and our family's story as we've kind of wrestled and grappled with these same questions in hopes that it may illustrate what I mean when I say God cares 
more about our hearts than our money. So as Pastor Josh mentioned, uh, Kathy and I and our family have been attending uh, Hope for about three and a half years now. But before that, before we started coming here, we were attending another church for about 10 years. And when we started going there, um, I wasn't a believer, kind of got drug along by my wife. There could be people here listening online or people here in this room that kind of got drug along today, and that's okay. God can still work in that situation. Um, but early on, I would term our, our giving as token offerings, right? Every week, the, the plates passed around. Ooh, let me see what's in my wallet. Ooh, I forgot. Throw something in there. Move on. And as we continued to attend this church regularly, and we began to get to know and trust the staff and the pastors, we began to understand the role of a believer in supporting the local church. You know, over time, we increased our giving, intentionally increased our giving to a level that we felt was adequate. Now, it was nowhere near a tithe, um, but for us as new believers and, you know, we had two young daughters at that time. We had just bought a house. I think we probably had two car payments. There was stuff we wanted to do in our house. Like, Lord, this is enough. This is what we're giving. We have other things that we need to deal with. And, you know, it, to be honest, that just felt like this is okay. We didn't really wrestle with it. We didn't struggle with it. We just decided this is what we're going to give, and that's enough. And it's hard to believe that this is now almost a decade ago, but in 2011, we had what I would call a, a transformational moment in our relationship with money. See, at that time, um, a few years prior, the church that we were attending had recently moved from rented spaces and theaters into a new building. Kind of sounds really close to what we're going through now as a church, moving out of the Barnstormers Theater into this facility. When the church built the, the building, um, a lot of the planning and construction took place during the recession in 2008-2009. So because of that, a lot of what they had originally planned had to get scaled back. Kind of money dried up, and, and they just had to scale back. So here we were in 2011, and the pastor was presenting kind of planned expansions or additions to the property. You know, we've been in it for a year or two, and now it's, okay, let's look forward to the future. This is what we would like to do. So if you can think about it, he would be kind of presenting a menu. If we can raise this much money, we would like to build this. Or if we can come up with that much money, we're going to build that. And as I sat there, um, you know, these weren't things that a few hundred dollars were going to fix, right? So I sat there and thought to myself, it would be really, really cool if someday, definitely not today, but someday, I could be one of those people that hears something like this and just says, I'm going to take that. Like, that's mine. Write the check. Done. I got this. And the weird thing is, this wasn't a thought that I could shake, right? It didn't make any sense because I wasn't one of those people. We were just struggling to kind of get our first home, raise our family, but I couldn't shake this thought. And, and we went home and the more I thought about it, I started to realize that I don't need to rely on somebody else, that we could be one of those people. Uh, so I brought this up with Kathy, and in a relatively short period of time, and that seems to be the way we work sometimes, we don't, you know, agonize and 
uh, ponder decisions year after year after year, but uh, we decided to take a leap, and it was a leap, and write one of those checks. Um, you see, one of the items that was on this list of improvements, if you will, was they wanted to build a playground outside of the children's ministry area. And whatever that price tag was that was presented, um, that's the amount that we donated. It was no questions asked, no strings attached. And, you know, for us as a young family, this was not a trivial amount. Like I said, this was truly a leap. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what we gave, but in the context, that one check was more than four times that we had invested in this church over the course of us going there. So this was a big event over what we had been typically doing on a weekly basis. And it simultaneously, it pretty much wiped out most of our savings account. Um, It's weird to be sitting up here this morning sharing this in front of all of you because this isn't something that we want a recognition for. We don't want recognition for it now. Um, But this playground was built six to eight months later, and I'm not sure really outside of a few select pastors and maybe staff at that church, nobody really knew where the money came from. And we were also told that this was kind of a unique thing we had done. I think we'd like to believe that things like this happen more often than they do, but at least in the context of this church and these particular staff members and pastors, this was not a usual occurrence. Now, I know some of you may be thinking right now, well, that's great, you donated this money but did you really need to build a playground, right? There's starving children, there's poverty, there's scarcity of water. Shouldn't the church be focusing its time and energy and resources on these bigger problems that are plaguing our world? And while some of that may be valid, the true significance of this one moment and the reason that I'm sharing it with you this morning is not about the tangible outcome of a new playground. The significance is found in how this one event really changed my family's relationship with money. Particularly because of the work I do in the financial services industry, there's this hyper-focus on preparing for the future. And especially now, with what we're going through with this pandemic, with the uncertainty around the elections taking place in two days, right? there's this natural tendency to want to and save and to hold on because we don't know what's going to happen. I need that security. But financial security itself can only give us a false sense of the true security that can only be found in Jesus. And with this one act of obedience, by meeting a need that we could meet, though it originally did seem kind of crazy and out of our reach, but by meeting this need, we were able, and I was able, to open my hands and see money for what it truly is. As Aaron talked about last week, it's a tool to be used, and it's a resource given by God that we are to steward. You see, God did not need our money. This church did not need a new playground. But God used this earthly endeavor to show Kathy and I a heavenly truth. And in one fell swoop, he allowed us to release the grip we had on money while simultaneously releasing the grip that money had on our hearts. Because we didn't need to wait 
to the future to be one of those people that could do something like this. I believe each and every one of us already is in some of our own unique ways, and we just need to be willing to open our hands and release the grip. And I'd love to sit here today in front of you and tell you that this one event almost 10 years ago ended all of the struggles that we will ever face with money, but that's not true. Surrendering to God's will in any aspect of our lives, money included, is a lifelong process, and it's something that requires constant care, constant attention, and constant prayer. So you may be asking, what does financial obedience look like in the Schmidt household today, in 2020 and not 2011? Because even though this one moment that I shared with you back in 2011 was a pivotal moment in our lives, we can't afford to rest on past deeds and neither can you afford to rest on past deeds and ignore present circumstances or uh, present challenges. So earlier this year, Pastor Josh presented a challenge to our church about our beloved leaky roof. We have been blessed with this building, and it is just amazing to be here in front of you in this building. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of improvements we would love to make but we just can't do it until we stop the water coming in from outside. And it would have been awesome to once again say, Lord, I got this. I'm just going to write this check and fix this roof. Unfortunately, the $95,000 price tag was a little steep. Um, but we were forced to once again wrestle with, okay, that's not the answer for us this time. What is our role in this? Not what anybody else's role is. What is our role as one family and members of this church? And I'll tell you where we ended up. After a lot of prayer and discussion, where we ended up was that for a period of three years, and we're already basically a year into this, we have decided that we are redirecting what would have gone into a 401k retirement savings plan and over and above what we give on a regular basis, that money is, instead of setting it aside over there, is being invested in fixing this building. And again, I'm not going to share what that adds up to over the course of three years. But for us, this was just another example of how we were able to surrender, be obedient to what God is calling us to do today by meeting current needs outside of ourselves and just releasing that grip and opening our hands. As I mentioned again, I, I work in financial services, so I understand, and some of you may understand, the concept of compound interest. And this is that money invested will grow. The next year there will be more and it will grow on itself and it will continue to exponentially grow over time. So I'm fully aware that by foregoing retirement savings today, while I'm still in my 30s, and I can say that for about six more months, so I'm going to say it, while I'm still in my 30s, that money, I know we're leaving a lot on the table because that would grow for 20 and 25 years until we reach retirement age. But you see, I also believe that this concept of compound interest is at work in God's economy. But instead of growing currency through interest, by investing in God's kingdom today, 
we are allowing for compound growth via salvation for our neighbors. Because each person that we're able to reach then becomes a new branch through which God is able to work. So I'd just like you to ask yourselves, what could this look like in your family? And I would encourage you to think outside the box about how he would have you use the resources that he's blessed you with. There's a quote attributed to Billy Graham, which says, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook, and I will tell you where their heart is. And where do we think he got this from? It was Jesus himself in Matthew 6.21 that states, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I encourage each of you to go home and see what it is your checkbook says about your heart. Just as I need to continually go home and see what it is my checkbook says about mine. Because God cares more about our hearts than he does about our money. He cares more about our obedience to what he has called us to give than the amount of money we're giving. He cares more that we're making him our first financial priority than how much we're giving back. Because there's a direct correlation between our heart and where we invest, and there's a direct correlation between what we care about and what we spend our money on. As Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I can't leave here this morning without addressing that undoubtedly within these walls right now and people listening online, there are families that are struggling to make ends meet. You know, I've shared two personal stories. One involved draining into savings account. The other involved forgoing retirement savings. And while both of these are counter to worldly financial advice, you may be asking, what relevance does that have to the family that can't even pay their bills? Or somebody that doesn't know where their next meal's coming from? And as we started off with, it all comes down to the heart. When our God sees more, he's not looking at quantity. And I just want to look at this scripture one last time because I don't want us to stray too far this morning into this is what Jeff Schmidt has to say. Let's look again at what Jesus Christ himself has to say. Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came, put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. So if you're struggling financially today, this message, I truly believe, is just as applicable to you as it is to those of you who may be prospering. Because when it comes to giving, how much is enough is not a formula. And God is not looking at quantity when he sees more. And the answer for one person or for one family is not going to be the answer for any other. We each need to spend time examining our lives, examining our relationship with money, and ask God what he would have us do.
not what he would have anyone else do. And I don't share stories of my past with you in hopes that anybody's going to emulate that. that. That's not the point of any of this. We need to be asking God, Lord, what can I do? So I'll leave you with these thoughts. Where are you today, and where do you want to be in the future? Are you the rich person giving out of excess? Are you the widow? What would it even look like for me to be that widow and to put in everything? That's sometimes a scary thought, and we may not want to think about that, but I challenge you to ask, Lord, what would that look like in my life? You see, these are questions that I cannot answer for you. Pastor Josh can't answer for you. And complete transparency, to be totally honest, sometimes I feel like, Lord, am I still that rich person just giving out of my excess? But I actually count that as a positive because for me personally and for our family, I never want to reach a point of complacency where I can kick back, throw up my hands and say, that's it, I've done enough. It's somebody else's turn. So regardless of where you find yourself today, believe these are questions worth pondering, answers worth seeking, and questions worth praying about. Because when our hearts are focused on God's mission of redemption, we will eagerly invest our time, our energy, and our resources in that mission. And our mission as one local church, as Hope Community Church, is to give our 60,000 neighbors in the Ridley and Innerborough area repeated opportunities to experience the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. And I fully believe that if we have a critical number of our members cheerfully investing in that mission, we can reach all of those neighbors. Because when our hearts are aligned with the heart of God, just as the poor widow's was, we will be eager to invest in the work of God. Because God cares more about our hearts than our money. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the example of this poor widow. And we are grateful that this has been recorded and passed down through history, Lord. And I would just pray that you would speak to each and every one of us and show us exactly how we should be using the resources that you've blessed us with. We are so grateful for all that we have. We're grateful for the opportunity that we are able to invest in your kingdom and bring about salvation for our neighbors. We just uh, thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.